0: Hi, this is Jay Johnson, and I'm going to be On Screen and Beyond, coming up next. So if you go away, you're a loser.
1: On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world, featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now... Here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to On Screen and Beyond, the show that brings you info on the latest upcoming remakes, sequels, and new movies. Also, upcoming DVD and TV DVD releases. And of course, our celebrity guest segment. And I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. And this is episode 104 of On Screen and Beyond. This week, we are joined by ventriloquist Jay Johnson, who played Chuck and Bob Campbell on the hilarious TV show Soap back in the 70s. It's a crazy show if you haven't had a chance to see it check it out and jay's going to talk about soap he's going to talk about his tony award and so much more it's all coming up in just a few minutes right here on, on screen and beyond and i want to remind you to join us on facebook we're finally there and you can become a fan and get in on our uh, our discussions and things like that and you can also join us on myspace and you can become a friend there and uh, if you know you get a chance you can uh, Go to either one of those. And if you are uh, getting the show from iTunes, where you can get it free, of course, and and you get a chance to see pictures of who we're talking to and other things that we've got. uh, So check that out on iTunes. But if you're there and you're downloading it from iTunes, be sure to leave a review on us. And it's helped support the show and moves us up the ratings and things like that. So we'd appreciate it if you do that. So uh, let's check out Remake Madness right now on On Screen and Beyond.
2: (laughs) Hang up and try again.
1: Remake Madness. Well, TV's Laverne and Shirley is headed for a big screen remake. Gary Marshall and Jamie Foxx talked about it while they were on the set of Valentine's Day. And it will hopefully star Jennifer uh, Gardner and Jessica Biel. Both were Valentine's Day alums, too. So they talked about that while it was being filmed. And the cartoon icon Popeye is headed for a remake once again. This time as a CGI animated film. And it's not going to be a remake, but 300 may be re-released in 3D in theaters. And, of course, last week we talked about this happening to the Titanic. And it looks like this is going to be the new thing in Hollywood to turn around and release films, re-release them, without doing anything other than changing them to 3D. So we'll see what happens with that. It's more of a way to pick a pocket, I guess. That's about it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen Beyond, upcoming movies right here. Upcoming movies, well, it looks like August 6th, you can look for The Other Guy, starring Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, as two mismatched New York City detectives in a comedy also starring The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and Samuel L. Jackson. And you can look for Megamine on November 5th this year. It's an animated film about a notorious villain who loses his oomph after he accidentally kills an nemesis. Uh, and uh, it goes on from there. It stars the voices of Brad Pitt and Will Ferrell also, and Tina Fey. And Eddie Murphy will star in A Thousand Words. It's about a guy who learns he only has 1,000 words left to speak before he dies. Though That's coming out on January 27th. Uh, 2011, and on April 9th, you can look for the Black Waters of Echoes Pond in limited theater release across the country in the major cities. And our re- review of it can be found at onscreenandbeyond.com and just click over to our theatrical release d- uh, movie reviews. Okay, that's about it for upcoming movies. Coming up next, Sequel City, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City. Well, we've talked about this one before, but here's a little update. Spy Kids 4 uh, is now being talked about again, and it looks like uh, they've set a date for the release. It's set for August 19th, 2011, and of course, it's going to have an entirely new cast. And, of course, no one else may care if there's ever another Terminator film, but Sam Worthington says he would like to make Terminator 5, and nothing is planned at this time, but we'll keep you informed. And Austin Powers 4 has been talked about for a very long time, and, in fact, in our interview segment with Robert Wagner... He even said he was ready to put the eye patch on again at any time as he comes back for uh, being number 2 on the movie but uh, the latest word is director Jay Roach says Mike Myers is actually working on ideas and people are talking about it. That's it for sequel city coming up next on, on Screen to Beyond TV on DVD. As far as TV on DVD, June 8th, Nip Tuck, the complete sixth and final season, arrives on DVD and Blu-ray. And Burn Notice Season 3 makes its way to DVD only on June 1st. No word yet on the Blu-ray release on that. And June 15th, Here's Lucy comes out with a four-disc set starring Lucille Ball, Lucy Arnaz, and Desi Arnaz Jr. That's about it for TV on DVD. Coming up next... What's coming your way as far as movies on DVD, right here on On Screen and Beyond. (laughs) Movies on DVD, well, April 13th, you can look for Creature of Darkness to arrive on DVD. It's a sci-fi creature feature type flick, and it's about an alien hunting down humans. And on April 1st, look for Yes Men Fix the World as the Yes Men return to another film as the uh, you know they go after corporate uh, America with pranks and all that sort of stuff. And The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, is the Tooth Fairy as it arrives in stores on May 4th on dvd that's it for movies on dvd coming up next we have our guest on on screen and beyond it is jay johnson he of course was in soap he played chuck and bob on the show Uh, if you haven't seen the show you know what i mean but he was he's a ventriloquist and he had uh, his puppet on there and everything and uh, it's a crazy show if you want to ever check that out you should and um Jay's going to talk about a lot of stuff, and it's coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining us this week is an actor, comedian, ventriloquist, writer, who has won a Tony Award and for several years played the role of Chuck and Bob Campbell on the hilarious 70s TV show Soap. It's Jay Johnson. Jay, welcome to On Screen and Beyond.
0: Nice to be with you, Brian.
1: Jay, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I, I always enjoyed Soap and uh, always loved your performance on the show. You cracked me up. <laughs> I think
0: it was a... A lot of fun to do. It was a show that was written really well, so we got to do some good stuff.
1: Yeah, and you added so much humor to that show, uh, and and the show was already quite insane to begin with. (laughs) Well,
0: it was that. I guess it took that for them to make me a character.
1: (laughs) Now, we'll get more into the soap, if you don't mind, later on. Sure. Um, But uh, I'd kind of like to start off with uh, some of the things that you've got going on right now. Um, I noticed one of the things that uh, you're in a documentary film called I'm No Dummy.
0: Yes, it's a a film by Brian Simon. And um, I guess this has been in the works for uh, several years, I guess. Um, Brian approached me and um, it wasn't the first time I've been approached by doing a documentary or talking about ventriloquism. But until Brian, it really um, didn't sound like it was going to work. People always want to i guess the the dark side of ventriloquism is always much more fascinating and that's what they want to uh, indict everybody for being crazy and it's just not the way i see my own art form so i turned everybody down but after talking to brian for a while i realized he was he was really not looking at it as kind of an aberration but as an art form and uh the more we talked the the more we got involved in the project so i'm, I'm real proud of it it's out i think april 6th is it's uh Release date.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, did it, it? Didn't it just recently show at the New York Children's Film Festival?
0: Yes, it did. And before that, uh, we were at the uh, Seattle uh, International Film Festival. SIF.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I noticed you did a workshop uh, in New York. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, our kids today—you know—with all the high digital gadgets and high-tech stuff that's out there right now, do you find that kids uh, today are still as intrigued with ventriloquism as back, uh, I, I mean, I can remember as a kid, uh, you know, getting the Danny O'Day uh, puppet and sure. the, uh, I, even, I think, in fact, I even still have the Danny O'Day record that used to instruct you how to, <laughs> how to you do bet. ventriloquism.
0: <laughs> well, Jimmy Nelson is also in this documentary that ah. we've done talking about that very record. It influenced a lot of people. Um, well, you know, I it would seem that ventriloquism would uh, not fit uh, kind of a modern psyche of of a, of a kid, but I'm not sure that it ever was um mainstream. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of kids fantasized about it. I don't know how serious they were about it. But I think the same um kids that were serious about it back then are serious about it now because it's a whole different art form than uh video games or mm-hmm. uh, any of the electronic things because it you know, it's so Visceral, and it's so internalized that uh, you, you don't—you uh, you get a whole different thrill from it if, if that fascinates you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's still around.
1: Oh yeah, it's—it's. It's, um, I mean, I was always fascinated with it. And like I say, I, I remember getting the puppet and everything, and, 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 and you know trying to do it and everything, and yeah. uh, it. Well, uh,
0: one one thing ventriloquism is, and I, I think it's one of the things that's so easy to go to the dark side with. That ultimately, what a ventriloquist creates is the illusion that you are creating a life force, and that's uh, basically the story of Pinocchio. That's the mm-hmm. story of Frankenstein. That's the story of—it's uh, almost a, a universal myth to the to the human psyche. So I think if, uh, as long as that human myth is there, you'll always be fascinated with the idea that you can make some inanimate object come to life.
1: Mm. Yeah. With this film. Uh... Have you seen? Uh, has the response been good? That when you've been at the festivals?
0: Uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, uh, maybe uh, they, they talk about this in, in the film. Um, there, there was a kind of a golden age of variety, which was also kind of a golden age of ventriloquism back in the fifties and early sixties. Mm-hmm. You had Ed Sullivan and some of the variety shows where you could showcase some of the, the uh, novelty acts, and so I think since then it's not had um, as visible. Uh, Profile as it as it did back then. Soap certainly was uh, kind of one of the few shows that uh, made it visible again.
2: Right. So yeah. I think a,
0: a lot of people are um, you know not aware that it's been around so long, not aware that there have been so many artists that have actually become quite famous doing it.
1: You know. Yeah. So. And it's funny, like like you mentioned, uh, a lot of the TV shows and and different uh, you know movies and things that that do talk about uh, uh, or show ventriloquists. It's always the the, uh, the 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 puppet comes to life, and yeah. you, know, it's yeah. like, you and, know, you
0: know, with with all uh, uh, with that in mind, I mean, that's a, that's exactly the character I played on, on soap. Chuck was completely uh, <laughs> over over the top about believing Bob's reality, yeah.
2: Um,
0: and and I think it's always been a, a very being a writer myself, it's a very easy device if if. Uh, Something is a little odd to begin with. To make them step over a line and become whatever villain you want them to be is pretty easy.
1: You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like you uh, you mentioned that you were a writer, and uh, when I was doing my research, now I've always been a fan of you. Like you say, I love loved what you did on soap and everything, and, and I like ventriloquism and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't realize that you were one of the writers, and even one of the voices on Annabelle's Wish.
0: That's right. Yes, I was. Yeah, I'd never the, knew the dog. That. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I I kind of created that character, uh, and um, a lot of writers worked on that uh, script from its inception, but uh, I think it was my draft that actually got the deal, and then they refined it from there. So when they went to voice it, they said, uh, "Since you know this character, why don't you come in and and read for it? And I said, well, yeah, I'll read for my own part, absolutely.
1: Yeah, like I say, I was surprised, because that's such a great Christmas You know, themed uh, cartoon, and and it's a a good story.
0: Yeah, I think it is, too. I I, I fell in love with the story back when uh, I was working with it. That was Barbara Dunn and Gary Edwards who were putting that together. And uh, uh, I had worked for them off and on. And um, the the reason I was brought in on the project is because uh, one of my characters is uh, Darwin the Monkey. And there's a scene, of course, in Annabelle's Wish where all the animals in the barnyard start to talk, mm-hmm. and they were having trouble with that scene. And they said, well, if anybody knows how an animal might talk, you're the guy. So, right. so, yeah. so that's how I got involved. And um, I, my agent uh, at William Morris, I've, I've been with him for such a long time. He's got young kids, and they were just the right age to be the perfect Annabelle's Wish audience when, they were, uh, when that came out. Mm-hmm. So I think of all the things I've done... Well, what I am to uh, Ryan and uh, Lindsay is I am the voice of Ears the Dog. Right. That's how they see me. So. <laughs> so once, once, uh, it's, they're almost too old now. But every Christmas Day, no matter where I was, I would call in to Chris's house and speak to Ryan and Lindsay as Ears the Dog. Right. So that was the legend. They could only speak on Christmas days. So.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Now, had you been doing other writing uh, before that?
0: Well, I had I, I had uh, written some things with uh, with several of the partners. I had written and produced a couple of um, variety specials uh, for various networks, and um, I, I had never tried that long form before. Mostly, my writing credits were uh, participation as a as a co-writer and uh, contributor to a lot of things. But um, when I, I've always written and I've always liked to write, but I, I really growing up was not encouraged to write very much because I. I'm a dyslexic, and I, I don't spell very well, and and uh, sometimes uh, that will distract somebody from my content. So, ah, uh, yeah. When I finally got old enough to, you know, and computers caught up with uh, my spelling, then, um, you know, th- there's enough ways to to check that so that you can turn in a draft that looks uh, acceptable enough in its format to be judged on content. And when that started happening, I, I realized that I was now. Uh, ready to write for sure.
1: Yeah, well, that, that that was like I say, that was a wonderful story, and it uh, it's, uh, it's uh, anybody if they haven't, I'm sure everybody has, but if any of the listeners haven't seen it, they should absolutely you know take a look at Annabelle's Wish because it's, it's good a good story.
0: Yeah, yeah, and thanks for bringing. I got a lot of people. To, uh, you know, it's one of those sort of like soap. A lot of people do not know what soap was. They kind of may have heard about it, but they never uh, experienced it. I I think Annabelle's Wish is the same thing. Either you know it or you don't, and if, mm-hmm. if you do, you'll. You'll find a, a a friend in that movie. Oh yes, definitely. Uh, yeah.
1: Now um, you, of course, uh, I notice on your website that you are uh, you know you have shows all over the all over the states.
2: Uh, yeah,
0: coming mostly. Up. Um, mostly what I have done in the past and continue to do is to, is what they call corporate shows, which are private shows only for that company. They pay me to come in and, and entertain their people exclusively. So there's mm-hmm. no ticket sales. There's no advertising and to a lot of uh <laughs> in a lot of ways it looks like you you've totally gotten out of the business because no one ever sees where you are but mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've stayed very very busy doing that and then when we started uh, the road to broadway that uh, put the visibility on a different level I think a little bit
1: yeah yeah and and mentioning broadway uh in 2007 you won a tony award
0: yeah that's that's just uh, very exciting um i'm sure you know it you know, Anytime you do television, you fantasize about winning a, an Emmy. Every time you do a, a movie, you fantasize about a, an Academy Award. And obviously, you know any award you receive is some sort of uh, justification for putting out all the hours. But for me, the Tony Award was always one of those awards that they awarded to um, people that that really were on the stage doing it every night.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I think um, uh, I'm trying to think the, the lady now. Her name will come to me, but. She actually won an Academy Award for a part that she was on the screen less than two and a half minutes, and worked one day. Uh, and you can't win a Tony for, for doing two minutes on one day. You right. have to be there eight shows a day for a certain length of time and have people see you and be a hit and do it every time over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Yeah, and that's always been the kind of performer I am. I you know multiple shows on a day if if you need to do that. So so of all the um, of all the accolades that somebody would have been nice enough to bestow the Tony Award means. much to me because it is the kind of performer I am you know I'm out there live
1: yeah now did you have any idea that that you you could win a Tony award when when you were doing that show
0: no it really wasn't uh, I'm sure that some people write a show hoping you know that's going to be the outcome but uh, I had always wanted to do a uh, stage version of of what I do I wanted to get in a stage because there's a big difference between being on a stage or being in a nightclub or being in a corporate show or being anywhere else. A Mm -hmm. stage and a theater are built for that. That's the church, if that's your religion. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't want to just do a concert where I took my act and put it on stage. I'd seen that done a lot. And I wanted to come up with something that could use all the colors of a a stage. So that was really the goal, was to come up with something where I could uh, uh, perform in a theater. And when they let me perform in a theater off-Broadway, that was uh, a reward enough. And when they said, we can go to Broadway, that was double reward. The Tony was just the icing on the
1: cake. Oh, I'm sure, too. Yeah. Now, w- when, like you say, uh, when you were doing that show, was, was it set in your mind that it would be different and be, I don't want to say more spectacular because, you know, I'm sure your show was very good no matter which way you do it. But, I mean, like you say, on Broadway or on stage like that, a, a large stage, that it was going to be something different.
0: Well, it, it, different in in the idea that um, I, I guess the best way for me to think about it is uh, you get to you get to color with different Crayolas. Mm-hmm. You can't in a nightclub in a comedy club. You you have to. Uh, I used to know the the ratio. You have to you have, to have a, a laugh every few minutes, every minute and a half. You have to get some sort of giggle, and there's a there's an expectation that it will be continually funny. Um, in a theater, you are also allowed to play on those dark sides. Those those emotional threads and those emotional colors and that's allowed so it changed to the fact that it grew emotionally and um, to its heart so that it would incorporate those on a stage so uh, it would accommodate a, a theater and, and not so much that we had to you know do things uh, bigger and have a whole chorus line of dancers and that kind of stuff right. it had to be a theatrical show and um, the, um, the category of Tony that I won was best special theatrical event, and that's really what we set out to do and what we,
1: yeah.
0: um, we wanted to do the best. Yeah.
1: Now, on your shows, that you, you, do you have the, uh, uh, the, the Chuck and Bob
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> routine? Yeah. The Broadway show actually talked about my experience on soap uh, a lot. Really? Um, what, what the show was eventually and uh, what it became is um, really the arc of, of what ventriloquism is, how it started way back in, in it, before it was even aligned with comedy and puppetry and this arc of ventriloquism takes this this kind of a rainbow look and at some point in this rainbow and it's within the show um i i get inserted because that's what i do and so at some point the the um history of ventriloquism includes uh my biography as well so we kind of overlap for a while and it, it's really kind of a, a story about uh the man that uh that carved my first puppet who we sort of had a little um uh, interesting kind of psychic connection, and uh, continued until the, the day he died. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, who were your uh, your idols as far as ventriloquism when you were younger?
0: Well, you know, I I believe that that I discovered Edgar Bergen later, although I must have been uh, introduced to him somehow. But but I think my biggest influence is the man you mentioned earlier that had the instant ventriloquism record: Jimmy Nelson and mm-hmm. Danny O'Day and Farfel.
2: Yep. <laughs> um,
0: they were. On television and doing commercials about the time I was, uh, uh, you know, old enough to be aware and and, and encouraged and excited about what they did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of the ventriloquist, I guess Jimmy and Danny were really my uh, my models and my um, uh... my role models and my inspiration. But then, as I got to know ventriloquism, there were other uh, ventriloquists named. Uh, there was a British ventriloquist named Arthur Prince who never saw him perform but what i know about him he's the kind of ventriloquist i would have wanted to be and um edgar bergen of course i I learned to appreciate him on so many levels and anybody that performed the art form well i was always
2: inspired by
1: yeah well it's obvious that people still enjoy it um because when there was that tv show america's got talent um jerry fader yes he people loved him
0: Absolutely, and he's uh, celebrating his uh, year anniversary at uh, the Mirage in Las Vegas. Geez! So he's doing right. Jeff Dunham is on tour all the time. Oh yes, yeah. Huge, uh, huge audiences at the arenas. So yeah. So yeah, it 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 sort of incarnates in its own way with its own generation every time, and um, I'm always asked if it's gonna, you know, finally fade because, you know, electronically we will overcome the need to, to have performers, and I, I just don't think it will. I mm. think it's yeah, like playing the violin. As long as there's a violin around, there's going to be somebody to play it well.
1: Yeah. How did you start in in acting and all that sort of stuff back back when you were young?
0: Well, I, I have to sort of kind of describe what it is like to be a, a dyslexic growing up and trying to compete in school to to make sense of why you would uh, find some oddball things to kind of hang on to, but. Um, Really, I, I, not being a good student in school, and my father was superintendent of the public schools, my mother was a librarian, everybody was, was a big-time educator, and I was just not going to be that. Um, I, I looked for alternative things that didn't require my skills in math or my skills uh, with spelling or those kind of coding mm-hmm. things that I weren't good at, wasn't good about. So I'm the guy that learned to ride a unicycle. I'm the guy that tried to juggle. I'm the guy that tried to do magic. and um, as a little boy, ventriloquism was just one of those things that was um, uh, didn't require me to write it down. It was all spoken, you know.
1: Yeah. Were you as good uh, doing the magic in the unicycle and the juggling as you are as ventriloquism?
0: <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> I think I found my calling. But I, you know, I can juggle three pins and three balls and do the, the normal stuff, and I, I have three or four pretty good magic tricks. But it yeah. was ventriloquism that really. Um, that, that really caught my heart, and I think that 's the one thing people said wow that's you, you do that well,
1: yeah now how did you get the part on soap in fact, well, first, was that your first TV show or or acting job that you got?
0: Well, it was the first time I ever uh acted uh, as a ventriloquist i had I'd gotten other jobs where I was just an actor and on stage and voiceovers, that kind of stuff, yeah, and then I had performed my act, but that was the first time that I got to do both at the same time and um it was um the the backstory, and i knew nothing nothing of this at the time but uh in 1977 when that uh, pilot came out and they were writing soap and prepping for it there was also a book out by william goldman called magic and it it was about a ventriloquist mm-hmm. um, it was a very creepy book and they made it into a creepy movie and it freaked a lot of people out but was that
1: the one with anthony hopkins anthony hopkins yes uh,
0: it was a tremendously wonderful book and i remember reading it and going to my manager. i just moved to LA at the time and said, they're going to make a movie out of this book, I'm sure, and I'm the only guy that will be able to play this. And I was very cocky, but I knew I was because I felt William Goleman found, as an actor, I found that he, he found a real motivation for a ventriloquist to be uh, crazy and a killer rather than just the fact that they must be a killer because they're a ventriloquist. Yes. Yeah. So that, the movie didn't work out, but uh, and I was real disappointed. Got very close to uh, actually even audition for Norman Jewison at the time, who was going to do the film. He moved on. I didn't have a connection. But uh, some lady named Susan Harris read the book as well and was looking for kind of a odd character that that might be a killer in her uh, sitcom pilot. And she wrote the description of of quirky uh, in her pilot.
1: Yeah. So originally you were supposed to be the killer.
0: Yes, I was. I was the killer of uh, Peter Campbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the kind of the. Tag for the first year but uh, so they, they wrote this part of the Ventriloquist Then it was just a six episode seven episode part and they were going to get an actor to come in and rent the puppet and that was all there is to it but I believe it was the director Jay Sandrich who had, even at that time was an Emmy winner and um, had done uh, he had been a stage manager on I Love Lucy and he had won his Emmys for uh, Mary Tyler Moore and on and on and he decided or he, he suggested or he as a, as a director he Said that it would not work, in his opinion, if you didn't have a ventriloquist, mm-hmm. because you were asking the the characters and the actors to react to something that that would be post production.
2: Right. And yeah. It would
0: just in a sitcom, there just wouldn't be the time, and it it would be much more efficient if they would find a ventriloquist. So, they set out to find one, and and. Um, I would love to say that they were trying to find the greatest ventriloquist in the world, and I got the part of it. They were really trying to find somebody that looked like uh, uh, Richard Mulligan to play his son, mm-hmm. the right age, the right type, the right background, somebody that could act, somebody that had been upset before. I mean, there were a lot of things that they had to consider. I'm sure. Yeah. And the fact that I... I, really, my calling was a ventriloquist was just an asset, and because of that uh instead of seven shows, I stayed for the rest of the run for the next four years
1: mm-hmm. and it's it's too bad the show ended. I thought it was <laughs> it was a riot it, was, <laughs> it just... was
0: it was it was you know and one thing about soap is that the writing was so strong, and the the fiber was so good because basically you're talking about two sisters and their their crazy families, so no matter what happened eventually this is family, and we, and you can blow the family apart, but the family's always going to come back together because they're family, and yeah. that, uh, you know, had it been, I guess, as uh, financially successful as it was uh, uh, artistically, it would still be around, because you could always do that, and blow yeah. them apart and pull them
1: together. It, like you say, it was a, a crazy and insane show. I mean, there's no doubt about that, because it was making a parody of all the soap operas yeah. and all the crazy things that go on soap operas, but... Like you say, there was that element of when Jessica, she'd feel bad about what was going on, or, or you know, any of the people. You got involved with them, not just on on a, a humorous layer, but on a more personal layer.
0: Absolutely, and and, th- and there were some uh, there were some tear-jerking moments in soap. Uh, oh yeah, here and there you know, and uh, it always kept you guessing as to where where those were going to come because they would come out of complete insanity uh, moments
1: before. All right now, off camera. Mm-hmm. Now this was taped before a live audience, correct? Absolutely. It's Billy Crystal. There's you and the 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 puppet and and everything. I I, I can imagine what was going on, but <laughs> but was it was it just crazy off camera? I mean, I can I can picture you doing a routine while they're setting up cameras for the next shot or something like that.
0: That there was there was a lot of that. Now not so much uh, in rehearsal time because I, I am. I'm not the kind of ventriloquist that uh, that Chuck was, that would just have uh, have a puppet in his arm constantly. Because mm-hmm. first of all, it's a lot of work to do that. You know, I mean, you yeah. you, you have to keep that puppet alive, and you, it, it's just a lot of work. So Bob in rehearsal was basically just out during rehearsal, and uh, he went back in his suitcase when he he wasn't uh, on the, on the set working. So there wasn't a lot of time that I'd be sitting around doing that. However, when you got to to tape night and. There would be a scene that they'd say, "Okay, let's do it again," and there would be a lot of that setup time with a live audience. Mm-hmm. Wasn't enough time for me to to do anything but be waiting around. And um, the, our warm-up man was Mark Summers, who got fame with Nickelodeon and doing a lot of kids shows uh, mm-hmm. later. But he and I kind of had a signal, and and by that time he would have been running out of material for the warm-up uh, of the audience, and so we just had some material that we worked up and just over ad-libs, and he would ask Bob questions, Bob would take questions, and so it was a lot of fun. But, uh,
1: yeah, I, I mean, I can see that, you know, you're used to being on stage in a situation like that, and, and sure. you know, I can imagine you just, you know, going with it, you know. Right.
0: And and the one thing, um, because it really was the only way to accommodate the, the process, uh When Bob was out, he was alive there wasn't a time when I would put Bob down on a on the couch and walk away. that just wouldn't happen mm-hmm. if he was if he was uh, out, he was absolutely one of the characters and he would be talking he would be conversing with all the people uh while we' we're, we're in the rehearsal. but once the rehearsal's over uh that didn't much happen
2: so
1: yeah well that's one of the things that um you see like if you go to a theme park uh and you see one of the characters walking around. Now, with Disney, uh, of course, uh, you see a character, and the character is in character as long as there are people to see it. Absolutely. But if you go to a, a smaller, you know, or less, <laughs> a lesser park, you know, you, the worst thing you could see is somebody take their head off or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah, it and, and it would be the same thing, I would think, with, with your puppet.
0: Well, I just, uh, for me, uh, there's a time and a place to do that, and, and when it's the time and the place... You, you do it the best you can, which means maintain that illusion right when it 's not the place and not the time, then it 's not out you know it's right, not yeah, out. so
2: yeah.
0: Uh, I understand that that you 're really asking um, you 're asking somebody to invest in an illusion that you you want to protect because uh, it 's it's what you do you
1: of know? course yeah. Do. yeah was was the cast a close close cast
0: yeah, I think we were uh, th- There was great divergence of age i mean. Um, uh, there was uh, Billy and Diana uh, Canova and, and Jennifer Salt and uh, Donnie Manoff, and we were all in our 20s. And mm-hmm. um, then there was uh, the the older guys, which were in their 50s, and and then there was Arthur, uh, Arthur Peterson, who was in his 60s. And so we had all kinds of and as guest actors would come on, there would be young actors, there would be old actors. There'd be everything. So we had every age possible, and, and there were enough of, of your age to form a little clique.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's such a a, a a range of of great acting uh, actors on that show. I mean,
0: it, it was one of the things that you you look back at uh, with Thomas Harrison, one of the things they did right was they they cast the show really well. Every guest star was terrific. Everybody was really wonderful, and uh, I look back on some of the people that I got to work with just uh, around around. One was uh, Joe Montaigne who played um, Juan Juan, I think. And, uh, uh, William Daniels, who played a detective, and um, Howard Hessman, who played somebody else, and yeah. uh, Eugene Roach—I mean, the list was just unbelievable of people we got to know on that
1: show. Yeah. In fact, we had uh, uh, John Biner was a guest on our hey, John, show. John, yeah,
0: John was was on uh, maybe half a season. He was he was almost a regular.
1: One of the de- detective Donahue, I believe his name yes. was. Yeah,
0: and and I really just got asked this not too long ago. Somebody said, "Who did the voice of the aliens when they came down and stole Bert? And somebody thought that it might have been Freddie uh, Travolina. Um, and it was actually John Biner who was uh, on the show doing Donahue at the time, and they just asked him if he would do the voice.
1: <laughs> He's so talented. He's very yeah. talented. Yeah. And and uh, you mentioned Richard Mulligan. He was uh, so <laughs> so great in that part. Yeah,
0: he was. He was. Now, he was the kind of actor that... Um, it, actors like, like Billy Crystal and... Um, i trying to think of who else would be in the genre of Billy. I don't know if I can take it right away, but, but, but they're sort of natural actors. They, they, their comedy comes pretty naturally. They have an instinct when something is funny and, and pretty much just kind of fall into it. Billy could just walk onto a set and find something funny to do. Mm-hmm. And Richard was was a very studied actor. He would Those ad-libs, those things when he would look like he was flustering around, were worked out and worked out and worked out and worked out. So that when you saw Richard on the set, he was working every moment of every second of that. It, and, and I'm not saying it didn't come naturally. Right, yeah. It's just he worked so hard at that, and it seemed so easy for Billy to walk on and be funny. And you just saw the process of Richard working and, working and working until he had gotten every moment that he could out of just raising a glass, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. It, it was an amazing lesson to watch him. Yeah.
1: Now, Arthur Peterson, he he did a great job as the major. He did, <laughs> he did do a great job. I mean, you know, he you really believed that this guy was <laughs> was a few screws loose. <laughs>
0: yeah, he did. He was a really nice guy, and again, a very very serious uh, stage actor. And and uh, pretty much, um, I think sometimes we made him crazy because he was very disciplined. And between Ted Wass, myself, Billy, and Diana Canova. All, all those kids, we really didn't take it seriously that that often, you know. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and he would get a little bit uh, perturbed by us that we weren't taking our job as seriously as we could. So mm-hmm. we, we, uh, we, we made his life miserable probably more than we should.
1: Was, was there any particular episode that was uh, you, know, you remember as being one of your favorites in, in the scene that you were in or anything?
0: Well, you know, you always remember uh, the, the ones that you liked the best. Uh, the, the, Billy and I wrote a scene that we turned in, and they, they actually... Uh, put it into the show, and it, it's a scene where Chuck uh, comes to the breakfast table without Bob. It's one of the few times he was seen without Bob. Mm-hmm. And Jody has actually the character of Jody has actually kidnapped Bob and put him in the refrigerator the fridge. <laughs> yes. because he wants to talk to Chuck about these notes that he that Bob's writing. He knows Chuck's writing him. And so the scene was that it's Chuck without Bob. What would he do? and And Billy and I sat in a room one time and figured out all the things we could do and and they liked it, and they wrote it in i I love doing that. And then there was a scene when all the boys went out and got drunk, and uh, we stuck Bob for the check as we walked out of the bar, I think. Um, But, yeah, it was was fun to do anything. I mean, uh, I always had a great line. I always had something really great to do.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: um, Jay Sandrich, who was uh, directing most of the time, I guess he directed more than half of them, uh, was very inventive. And if the script said, um, Chuck and Bob are sitting at the couch, that wasn't good enough for jay he would always say what are you guys going to be doing and so you you got to invent something uh well how about if i'm playing checkers how about if i'm sitting here on the phone how about if i'm this How about if that and he would go yeah yeah that's good try that so
1: yeah well that's one thing i remember noticing on that show was uh, like a lot of shows they'll the background people are sort of just there yeah but but with you guys if you weren't uh, not that you weren't paying attention to the uh, the if we weren't paying attention to the main story, but if you looked off in the background, you guys were doing things.
0: Yeah, we really were. And and I got to tell you, it's a big secret. Um, because every year uh, after we'd off for the the summer, they would recap. You know, they would say, "Here's what happened last right. year. Now here's yeah. where we're going to go." So they did these recap shows. And after the first year, we found out that if you were in a clip no matter if you had a line or not, if you were just seen in the background, mm-hmm. you got uh, a scale for uh, uh, AFTRA, and that was, I think, 225 at the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if you look very carefully in some of those scenes where everybody's in it, you, you will see somebody lean in to the shot or or walk just to get to the edge of the shot just so that they get on camera. <laughs> and and if you were near somebody, and you could, if they were on camera and you want, weren't, what you would do is you would walk over to them, And you would lean down, and you would say, 225. And they would would go, yeah, yeah 225. And it looked like you were talking, and then we got a big laugh. (laughs) So most of the time, if you read our lips, we're saying 225 in the background.
1: I'll have to look. I I have the DVDs. I'll have to take take note of that next time. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, (laughs) that was pretty much the game we played. And so, you know, if it looked like we were trying to pay attention to the scene, we were really trying to pay attention to where the shot was so we could get into it.
1: (laughs) Now, do you see many of the cast members anymore?
0: I, d- not a lot of them. I, I obviously get messages. You know, somebody said, we just worked with Ted Was or yeah. uh, Billy was just here. I do see uh, Robert Manden all the time, because he's a, a friend, lives close, and we've, oh,
2: we
0: we yeah. got to have a, a close friendship after the show. And So he's about the only one I, I see on a regular basis. But um, maybe a year ago or more, um, Diana Canova was in town, so Diana and myself and Bob Manden went out to see... Um, Robert Guillaume, who was at the oh, Motion Picture Home, and we had a great time to see him out
1: there. Oh, huh. geez. Like I say, it was a great cast, and everybody uh, was, was so funny. It was a great show, and if people have not seen Soap, they should go out and rent or buy the DVDs, because it's just a hilarious show.
0: Yeah, it it holds up. I mean, you know, you can, you can tell that it, we were, you know, definitely in our bell-bottom trousers sometimes. <laughs> wardrobe is definitely up that age. But the stories in the in the portrayals are really almost timeless, they they really hold up to that. Yeah.
1: Now, is it true? I heard that the um, the puppet Bob is um, in the Smithsonian.
0: Yes, the original Bob is in the Smithsonian. Um, he sits next to Oscar the Grouch and um, Jerry Seinfeld's puffy shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, the, the the first Bob uh, was was sort of done in a hurry because I think they they you know thought well, it's going to be a, a seven episode character and they didn't really need to spend much time in the in the crafting of them and, and I was pretty particular about about the instrument I worked with so
1: I'm sure yeah by the
0: time the second year came around we we did a duplicate that had better controls for me and um... then eventually I, I had one that that was better for stage than it was for television and so there were actually three different Bobs and uh... the original original one which you know was the one that came out the first time he's the one that's in the
1: so Bob was not one of your characters that you brought into the show with you?
0: No, no. He was um, he was provided or cast uh, uh, by by the, they had a very specific look they wanted. Our character was coming from Hawaii. They really wanted um, a little Hawaiian-looking puppet,
2: uh-huh, and
0: okay. and that worked for a while. But after after six shows, the Hawaii thing kind of played out, and they were getting notes that they thought Bob was maybe too black. You know that maybe he was. We were trying to make fun of somebody that was a black person, and. Uh, hmm. So they, you know, we lightened him up, and so he changed a little bit through the ways. He didn't have quite so kinky of hair, and his complexion wasn't quite so dark, and we didn't dress him quite so, you know, uh, island-wise and everything.
1: So yeah. Well, you guys, you know, you always seemed to have at the beginning. You always had the same well, shirt. yeah, we on.
0: continued. That was the gag all the way through. No matter what I had on, he had the same. same right. Yeah. Uh, it, it was amazing what the wardrobe people could do, and occasionally I would go in for a wardrobe fitting and I would put on a shirt and it would I, it would just dwarf me. I mean, it would just be a huge, it would be a triple extra large. And, and I would go, wow, this is not even near my size. And they said, no, that's Bob's size. <laughs> and I couldn't understand it, except I, I finally realized that they were buying, you know, three sizes bigger so they'd have enough material to cut it down for Bob. Oh,
2: <laughs> I was wondering why.
0: So if I got one that was too big, it was Bob's, which didn't make any sense to me at all. For a <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was... Yeah, too much fun a lot of fun and when you think about television in the 70s uh this is before HBO really has gotten out of New York and uh we were i guess we were canceled we were taken off the air and at the time we left ABC we had a greater uh audience share greater numbers than Seinfeld did on a normal night
1: yeah well i I think I was reading somewhere that th- th- your opening night had 39% of the audience in the United States. Absolutely.
0: absolutely. I mean,
1: people we would had, die for
0: that. <laughs> yeah, 39%, and, and it was a 50 share, which meant 50% of all televisions turned on at that moment were turned on to our show. <laughs> um, it was very controversial. It was very, uh, you know, is its it, is it going to, you know...
1: Now, yeah, being so controversial for that time, um, like I say, I always thought it was funny. But
0: uh, it was—that's all it was. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, people. I think sometimes people get a little too uptight about stuff and think that it's, you know, I mean, if you watched it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, I think
0: what happened early on in the um, pre-production interviews, they they talked to Susan Harris and they said, "What are you going to be doing in the show?" Well, of course, it was the spoof of a soap opera. So she said. Well, there's going to be a, a a baby that is the baby of a of a priest and and Korean, and there's going to be an alien this, and there's going to be this, and there's going to be that. There's going to be a gay character that has a dress on, and well, when you just talk about humor, mm-hmm. you, if you if you if you don't know that it's humor and you don't know it's supposed to be a comedy, then all that stuff sounds like oh my god, you're you're they're going to seduce him in a in a in a confessional. Oh my god, right? Know, yeah. That's awful. <laughs> So a lot of people got the wrong idea that, that it was very uh, anti-religious or it was uh, anti-morals or something. And it really wasn't. It was just, unless you see the scene, you know, you didn't know it was supposed to be very funny.
1: Right, yeah. People, and like you say, they jump, jump the gun and think, oh, no, this is way off. And, and then when yeah. you watch it, was it was just a funny show.
0: And, <laughs> and actually, it, it came to kind of bite us on the bottom uh, at one point because so many people tuned in expecting to see something that we weren't.
1: Right. You know?
0: <laughs> Uh, they kind of well, that's it. Well, ooh, you know, ooh, yeah. it's not for me. So they didn't give us a second look. It, it, you know, they they were tuned in for the wrong reason.
1: So yeah.
0: we had this huge fifty share audience, and then we dropped back, and then we we eventually built back. But it was uh, yeah, it was always um, we were never for sure whether we were going to be uh, continuing on or not. So
1: yeah. when you were out in public, um, at, you know, after hours of the show and everything, uh-huh. did people recognize you?
0: Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I, did- I was surprised by that, and. um
1: did they expect you to be walking around with Bob?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think that was it. And I, and I learned really quick that um, again, you wanted to perpetuate that that idea that Bob was a living person. And so I, I never would uh, say, "Oh, Bob is." He happens to be in the suitcase that I'm carrying right now. So I would say that I would I would always say, "Well, you know, Bob is uh, off uh, at the bar, or it he, he was just arrested, or he's in the shower, or you know, he's someplace else because." Uh, that's really what they wanted to hear. They didn't really want to hear reality. He's in a suitcase. What's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let him out. He's dying, you know. So, uh, so that's when uh, I think that's when the Triloquism crosses over into the, uh, well, he must be nuts. He told me he was, you know, well, yeah, but we knew better, you know. Yeah,
1: geez. Well, I, I want to finish up with just uh, some quick questions here that moves away from your stage performances and, and soap and all that sort of stuff. Um, What would be, this is a more personal level, what would be your two favorite TV shows of all times, other than Soap that, you know, that you were on? Right. New or old, doesn't matter.
0: Wow. You know, um, there are so many shows that I love uh, uh, equally as well, uh, and for different reasons, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Arrested Development was a fantastic show, but Modern Family is really great now, too. It's kind of those quirky characters. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... From a drama standpoint, I think I liked um, uh, The Mysteries of uh, uh, Columbo yeah. and that style. Yeah. Um, sitcom-wise, you, you can't do much better than The Mary Tyler Moore Show or M.A.S.H. or one of those classics, I yeah. Think. Um, So yeah, my, my tastes were pretty much what everybody else's were. I, I think that... Uh, um, I, I, what did they say in the AFI? I think they said that uh, uh, the death of chuckles or the Mary Moore show was the <laughs> highest rated funny episode of any e- sitcom that's ever been on. And and I think uh, uh, uh David Lloyd died not too long ago and um and, and they re ran that or it's on YouTube or something. And it is absolutely hysterical. It's one of the best
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, scripts in the world. So it'd be hard to it'd be hard to say. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the reality television at no, all. I'm me a neither. fan <laughs> of shows, obviously. But uh, <laughs> You know all the all the reality shows are are taken over for what used to be variety shows, I, right. yeah, I just I'm not sure that I agree with that idea, you know
1: yeah, it's just not the same. that's for sure.
0: Um, well, I'm you know it's it's one thing to be a celebrity because you're a celebrity because you run a show. It's another to have have worked at your craft and and succeeded at something and become famous for that. you know so, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, I would rather see somebody's work than just their accident
1: you know? yeah, Jeez. Uh what about movies? what's your what type of movies you see? What's your favorites?
0: My, you know, my, some of my all-time favorite movies: uh, Casablanca, and The Maltese Falcon, and uh, Groundhog Day. If Groundhog Day is on, uh, I'm going to have to watch Groundhog Day from that moment till it ends. <laughs> Very much like both uh, Godfather One and Godfather Two. It doesn't matter how many times that I've seen them. When they're on, or if I happen to anywhere be at any point, I'm going to watch them all the way through, and um, mm-hmm. so they they become my favorites. Uh, uh, when I was a little boy, Wizard of Oz was my favorite, and that was the same thing. Had to watch it from beginning
1: to end. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. it's funny you mentioned The Groundhog Day because uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, but just recently I was speaking with someone else, and they said Groundhog Day, and it's it was you know it's surprising to hear you say that too, and and they said the same thing. I got to watch it from the beginning to the end.
0: <laughs> After I'd watched it fifty times or something, um, <laughs> I, I either read something or heard something. Somebody said that if you were Thinking in terms of reincarnation, and how many lives it would take um, uh, Phil to accomplish the things that he did at the very end of Groundhog Day, the the weatherman.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: how many lifetimes and how many years would it take for him to do that? And it was up in the thousands hmm. for him to become an accomplished piano, and know everything about the community, and da 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 da, and yeah. all the things. And so every time I watch that, I, I you know I lose count about you know fifty or sixty, <laughs> but I know that. You know, okay, that's a lifetime. Okay, I had to come back there. That's another lifetime. That's another lifetime. And yeah. Every, every cut they make, and I think it's fascinating. <laughs> the best screenplay um, that I, I think was ever written for the screen is, uh, is an odd choice, but it's My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. yeah. I just think that it, as a, as a screenwriter, I like the story and I like the acting and all the stuff. But if you just strip everything away and just look at the screenplay, it is the most economical screenplay. Nothing is said and nothing is done that doesn't play out in the last moment of the, of the picture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Nothing is extraneous. Yeah. And as weird as they go and as far-fetched as they go, it all applies even to their argument uh, You know, before they make love in the, in the motel. You know, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's all part of it. Um, uh, and then uh, you know, just just out of uh, uh, friendship, because I know Randy Wallace really well, uh, you know, I'm obligated to say Braveheart because, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you don't mention Braveheart in the short list, uh, you're you're probably crazy. <laughs>
1: Well, Jay, this has been fun. Um, I want to remind everybody they can check out your website monkeyjoke.com.
0: Monkeyjoke.com. and, and the Broadway show has uh, uh, the two and only uh, the dot two, com. So.
1: Two and only dot com. Yeah, okay. and uh, what I'll do is I'll put uh, links for those uh, on our website. Well, you're the best. Thanks, Brian. And uh, you know, we'll let people go over and take a look at what you've going on and everything and uh, yeah and
2: hopefully,
0: um, hopefully the show the Broadway show is coming to some place near them and they'll come and see it and
1: oh yeah they yeah. won't have
0: to explain it they will have seen it
1: so. yeah. <laughs> well thank you very much for doing this Jay I really appreciate it, it was fun
0: my pleasure and, and I wish you well and, and hope to talk to you again soon
1: and of course i want to thank jay johnson for sharing with us and he he was a great guest and he's uh, you know such a good guy and taking the time to talk to us and sharing all those things with us and uh, if you get a chance and you watch soap sometimes and you see those replays those reenactments that they do there each season as it begins uh, see if you can see him saying you know (laughs) talking about the things he talked about in the interview anyways uh i want to thank him and um be sure to check the show out if you ever get a chance, and we're going to be putting up a name of a future guest on our website at onscreenabeyond.com, and you'll have a chance to send us your questions for that person, so be sure to check it often. It's on the front page of On Screen Scroll down toward the bottom, and you'll see where it says you can uh, send us a question for a certain guest at feedback at onscreenabeyond.com, and uh, you'll have a chance. Uh, you know, we get hundreds and of emails to ask questions but we try to pick a, you know a few and uh, get, give these people your questions and we'll see what we can do that so uh, check that often because it changes sometimes we'll only be able to put it up for a couple of days or even less sometimes depending on when we're going to be doing the interview and everything so check that out at onscreenabion.com and that's it for another week and hope you have a great week coming up till next week this is brian zemrak take care <laughs>